There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken today. That is because Jesus is the King. And we praise Him today. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Welcome, First Baptist Pinewood guests and iCampus viewers. We are delighted that you are here today. It is a great day to sing praises to the Lord. Would you join us as we just worship and fill this place with the sounds of God's people praising Him today? I don't know about you, but I need to hear His people sing today. In the Bible, we claim the promise today that the, the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. That's what we want to do because He is a good God, and we are grateful for that today. Amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. God, your soul.
is good. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. It's so good to hear you singing today, church, as we continue the legacy that our church has of being a church that sings and fills this room with the sound of worship. And we celebrated part of that legacy this week with the home going of Carol Lowe. And so many folks enjoyed kind of the table we have set out uh, that kind of has some of Carol's legacy on it uh, that we left it for today. So if you want to check that out after today's service, I know you'll be uh, invigorated and inspired as you look at some of the things that our church has done in the past, spurring us on to greater things in the future. I wanted to share one announcement, and that is that the flowers this morning are given in honor of Miss Beverly O'Regan by her husband Dan on the occasion of their 66th wedding anniversary. And uh, let's give them a hand. They're watching online. They're not able to be with us, but they wanted to celebrate today, and I'll be delivering those flowers to their home later on this afternoon. We want to take a moment to uh, recognize some of our staff members who uh, have celebrated anniversaries and service recognitions with us over the past couple of months through uh, the pandemic and COVID, some while we were shut down, some just as we were first opening up. And we're wanting to pull everybody together and, and celebrate some of those today. So I'm, as I call you forward, uh, please come and join me on the platform so everybody can uh, recognize you. First, we have Miss Tanya. Tanya Nugent has, is celebrating 10 years with us, a couple on the organ, and then I think eight over on the piano, and so uh, I know that you're glad to have Miss Tanya serving with us. Give her a round of applause. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Yeah, stay right here. Stay just a moment. They want to look at you. We also want to recognize Zach Fleming, our student minister. Zach is celebrating or celebrated his one-year anniversary. And uh, Zach, what we do for all of our staff members, ministry staff members on their first anniversary is we get you a gift certificate for a getaway to Monmouth Plantation in Natchez. So you and Haley send the boys to Fred and Denise and uh, y'all have a good time, all right? <laughs> we also are celebrating Miss Kimberly Aguilard's anniversary as our children's minister. And uh, we're so grateful for Kimberly, and Kimberly's back with us today after being out sick. And then also, Miss Becky Cook is, has been in our day school for a while, and she is uh, our interim director right now of our day school. And, and so give all of these folks who have served our church so well a big round of applause. We're so grateful for their service. Thank you, Becky. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together and thanking God for the staff that he's given us. Lord, we're so grateful for the blessing of our staff. Lord, we couldn't do all the things that take place around here and through our church without these people and the others that are assembled as our staff. And God, we thank you for sending these folks our way. And we pray, God, that as we serve you in the years to come, you'll continue to bless our efforts as we strive to penetrate sin law and Louisiana and the world with the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would do it through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We serve a God who is the God of the ages, yesterday, today, and forever. Let's continue our worship with our voices and song together. Creator, ruling, sustainer. 
Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Celebrate the goodness of God and all that He does. I love that song that just reminds us of God's faithfulness through all of the years. He is the God of the ages. Well, as Thomas mentioned in the opening video, we're taking a one-week break from our home improvement series to deal with an important topic for our church, and that is the role of deacons. But before we kind of get into that, I want to thank you, church, for the good work that you uh, did last week in responding to the message through uh, the, the app and the uh, form that we sent out. Uh, we see, received about 40 different responses, and we were able to pray through those on Wednesday night especially. We had a powerful time of prayer at Prayer and Praise on Wednesday night. The Lord just met with us, and uh, know that you were and are continuing to be covered as you work through those things that you're wanting to gut out of your home. Uh, beginning today, though, we're, we're focusing on, on today on deacons, because beginning today, we're entering our annual season of nominating men to serve as deacons in our church. At any given time, our church has 30 active deacons who are serving staggered three-year terms. And so each year, 10 of those deacons rotate off, and we as a church nominate and then elect 10 more to take their place. Each year, the church takes the nomination form and nominates men to serve as deacons, and then our deacon nominating committee takes those, follows a process of ranking and then vetting those folks, and then will present to us a ballot of 10 that we will then approve to begin serving a new three-year term. You may have seen today already the nomination forms are out in the sanctuary foyer. They're over in the Welcome Center. They were also in your Sunday school areas so that you can begin making nominations. And there's a nomination box in the Welcome Center where the coffee usually is. But you can also put these now that we have the boxes for the offering around the sanctuary. You could also put these in the offering boxes as well. We ask that you only complete one nomination form. However, you may nominate as many men as you want this year. In the past, it's been limited to 10. Now you can nominate as many as you want. Just nominate each person once per individual doing the nominating. Since the strength of the nominations is so important to our process, it's important that all of our church members participate in prayerfully nominating qualified candidates. But that raises the question, what should you be looking for in a deacon? And to help us answer this question today, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7. And we're going to look at some characteristics of a deacon. As you're turning and finding Acts 6 and 7, I want you to be thinking about what do you think of when you hear the word deacon? In sharing with me some memories of our church from years past, one of our uh, church friends uh, said they remembered the deacons of this church standing outside under a tree between Sunday school and worship back in about the 1960s and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> that was a godly picture, wasn't it? And I, <laughs> that was an interesting memory of what deacons did, and, and I'm glad times have changed. Uh, our deacons don't do that anymore, at least not that I know of. And um, when you hear the word deacon, though, someone or several someones probably come to your mind. Uh, of course, when I think of a deacon, I think first of my dad and the deacons of my home church. And come to think of it, a couple of those smoked out front of the church before church started. But that's not what I mainly remember them for. I remember them for serving the church and, and watching them as they served. And, and those memorable times when they served the church visibly, like at the Lord's Supper and at other times like that. But if I had my own dictionary, when you came to the word deacon in it, you would find a picture of a man named Billy Joe Walker, or BJ as we knew him. Uh, B.J. was a deacon at the church that Brother Thomas and I served in Hearst, Texas. It was then called Bellevue Baptist. Now it's called Pipeline Church. And B.J. was retired from American Airlines when we, was there. we were there. He was probably in his mid-60s. And B.J. was servant-hearted. He was prayerful. He was supportive. He was funny. He was helpful. And he was sacrificial. 
Thomas and I were called by BJ the baby preachers back then because Thomas and Adrian and Rebecca and I were all in school at some various level of school and we were young and to this day none of us have any idea I'm sure of how much BJ did to support us personally from getting meals for us to helping pay for things that were happening, even helping us be able to go on church trips when we could barely rub two pennies together. Thomas and I could ask BJ to do something in the church. I mean, I think about these couple of 20-year-olds asking BJ to do things in the church, and he'd get all these retired men together, and they'd accomplish the task. Those men literally repainted the entire interior of the church and did all kinds of projects for us. They just took care of the work. And that's because BJ loved that church. I loved to hear BJ pray because when he prayed, his, his voice would almost always break, especially when he mentioned that church. Because he had seen that church in its strongest days, he had prayed that church through some horrible days, and he was always praying and working for better days. In my five years as a seminarian at that church, B.J. Walker became the poster child for what a deacon is supposed to be. But as good as B.J. was and is, as my first model of a deacon beyond my dad and my childhood home, the best example of a deacon, the real poster child, is actually found in the Bible. And we're going to look at a guy named Stephen this morning who becomes a good poster child of what a deacon should be. But before we get to Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, at the beginning, we read about why deacons were needed in the first place. We read about the assigning of those very first deacons in the early church. Now, I've preached that passage many times at deacon ordinations and deacon installations, but perhaps you remember the story. Some of the widows of the church were feeling neglected in the daily distribution of bread. And since that work would have taken the apostles away from their primary duty of preaching and praying, the apostles gathered the church together and they said, hey, why don't you select from among yourselves seven men who are known to be full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit and let them do that job so that we can continue to do our job of preaching and praying. And the church did that. And they chose the men, and the men went to work. And as a result, the ministry to the people of the church multiplied exponentially as the deacons took care of ministering to those widows and other needs. But then at the same time, the work of the apostles multiplied as well because now the apostles could focus primarily on praying and preaching in order to lead the church forward in what they needed to do. And the results were staggering. We read about them in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So, because of all this, the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Whenever I read that text, I get excited to think about what could happen if we had the right deacons doing the right things at the right time, and then the ministry staff was doing the right things at the right times. What could God do in our church? Well, unfortunately, we usually stop there in the passage. We kind of do Acts 6, 1 through 7, and talk about deacons, and that's it. But as we go on, if we continue reading, we find an amazing story of one of those first deacons. As I said, his name is Stephen, and in his story we find what we should look for in a deacon. Let's consider some characteristics of Stephen that should also be characteristics of our deacons. First, like Stephen, a deacon must be full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, we know Stephen was that because back up in verse 5 of chapter 6 is where the apostles said what you should look for initially in a deacon. They said they should be full of the Spirit and wisdom. These were hallmark qualities to be found in men who would step forward as deacons. What does it mean to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, though? Well, to be full of faith means that Stephen held nothing back from God. He, his life was completely yielded to God. That yielding began with his salvation, and it continued on into every decision he made. If God called Stephen to do something, 
He did it. Stephen had no doubt in what God was doing. He believed wholeheartedly. He didn't ever hesitate in obedience. In fact, he accelerated in obedience. That's what it was to be full of faith. But Stephen was also full of the Holy Spirit. That means Stephen lived under the Spirit's control and was empowered with a a divine dynamic that enabled him to experience God's best and achieve God's purposes for his life and for the church. Being full of faith and the Holy Spirit are essentials for Christian ministry and especially those who lead the church. Spiritual power is given to people who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And when deacons are faithful and they are spirit-filled, they will lead a church to be faithful and spirit-filled as well. But where the deacons are faithless and spiritually dead, they will lead the church to be faithless and spiritually dead. One preacher called for a a vote on an issue which had gained approval of the vast majority of the congregation. And so, since it was a significant vote, he said, okay, guys, we've, we've voted. We obviously know the will of the church. Let's vote again, and let's just make this unanimous. And so, they took a vote, and it was unanimous except for one that was still negative. And the one who had held his hand up no was one of the deacons. And he stood up, and he said, preacher... As long as I'm a deacon of this church, there is never going to be a unanimous vote. Now, I just want you to know, that's being empty of faith. And that's being full of something other than the Holy Spirit. That's not what deacons are supposed to be like. True deacons are men like Stephen who are full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And they, they lead churches to be that way too. Churches like the early church. Well, second... Like Stephen, a deacon must be full of spiritual compulsion. Look now down at verse 8 where we really pick up Stephen's story. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now Stephen had essentially been called as a deacon to wait on tables just a few verses up ahead But now he's preaching and he's sharing the gospel and he's even performing some miracles. Apparently, he and the other six deacons that had been called upon by the church took care of the problems that were mentioned back in verse 1 and then they were able to see God work in them in other ways and they saw other opportunities for them to get involved and for the church to be ministering. You see, Stephen was not satisfied to just wait on widows within the church. He did that, but he had a spiritual compulsion to do more. He couldn't be content with just one job. He had to do more. He had to share the gospel because he was under the Great Commission just like the rest of the church. And so Stephen stepped out. He took the initiative to find new areas of outreach. He took the initiative to find new points of ministry, and he did this by manifesting God's grace in various forms, from waiting on widows, to teaching God's Word, to even performing miracles. Deacons are men who exhibit and share God's grace, from His grace of salvation, to His grace of forgiveness, to His grace in ministry. Deacons model grace and spread grace. They are to be the ones who unify the church, not splinter the church. Whenever a spark of conflict rises up in the church, and it will because the church is made up of people, the deacons are the ones who grab the water bucket and put out that spark. They're the ones that circle the wagons around the issue and deal with it so that the church itself is not damaged. And more than that, the name of Christ is not damaged and so that grace may abound But deacons also must be full of God's power as they use whatever spiritual gifts God has given them. Stephen apparently had some miraculous gifts. Some scholars say that his his miraculous gift may have been the gift of healing. And he used it to bring the glory of God and it advanced the church. But whatever gifts a deacon 
paths, whether that be teaching or administrating or hospitality or evangelism or healing or whatever it is, he needs to use those gifts to the maximum of their ability as the Spirit fills him and gives him that, that spiritual compulsion. As those who are full of spiritual compulsion, deacons set the pace for the church. They set the pace for the rest of the church members. Churches that have deacons like that will be full of spiritual compulsion themselves with unified people sharing God's grace as they discover and use their spiritual gifts to serve the Lord through their church. And churches that do that will not be impotent and ineffective. They will be powerful and effective. Third, like Stephen, a deacon must have wisdom. Look at verses 9 and 10. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. A deacon must have wisdom. As Stephen taught the good news of Christ, some of the Jews disagreed with him. An example of his teaching is found all the way through chapter 7 where he masterfully gives a recounting of the Old Testament and he connects the dots between the Old Testament and the good news of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting to note if you read chapter 7 in the context where it is, we find out that all of chapter 7 is not a prepared lesson or a prepared sermon. It was an extemporaneous teaching given by Stephen before the Sanhedrin. And Stephen exhibits masterful knowledge of the Old Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, that knowledge didn't come overnight. Also, it didn't come by osmosis, by just sitting at church. Stephen had studied. Stephen had reflected. And the Holy Spirit had then used that study and reflection to give Stephen wisdom. So as a result, Stephen's study... And that accompanying wisdom of, of God's, that God's Spirit had given him gave Stephen the ability to preach. And people could count on Stephen to share wise counsel. You see, biblical wisdom is not just knowledge. Biblical wisdom is the application of knowledge. Now, biblical wisdom is the ability to make godly decisions. And deacons need to be able to make godly decisions. Do you realize that every major decision for our church goes first before the deacons, before it ever comes to the larger church body? And so things can either move forward from them or they can die with them. So our deacons have a big responsibility to make good decisions. One of the greatest examples of our deacons making good decisions was some years ago when we went to them in need of moving forward as a church to uh, improve our church campus and, and envision where our church could be down the road. Uh, we were making repairs to our church campus and we'd make one repair and then add three to the list. We could never catch up. There were just so many things that needed to be done. And there were people asking about new ministries and thinking about where we could be down the road. And so I went to the deacons one um, night at deacons meeting and said, guys, we need some help. Could we get together a group that would be like a long-range planning committee that could plan this out and lead us towards a major renovation project. And I laid out the vision for them. And, and they talked about it and readily agreed. And out of that meeting came the Long Range Planning Committee and several years of work that then resulted in us having now being able to enjoy phase one of that long range plan. But you know, I've thought many times everything could have ended that night in Deacon's meeting. And they could have not made a visionary godly decision. They could have said, no, nah, things are just fine like they are, preacher. Go back to your office and preach Sunday. But they didn't. Because they prayerfully saw what God was doing and they wanted to step out. Our deacons need to have that kind of godly wisdom. Fourth, like Stephen, a deacon should have an evident anointing. Look at verse 11. Then they secret, secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. 
So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now look at verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What's that mean? I don't know exactly what all that means, but it certainly means that people could see Jesus on Stephen. This was not the first time an individual in the Bible had this kind of holy glow. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses' face glowed when he came down from Mount Sinai after spending time with the Lord. Likewise, Jesus' whole, whole countenance glowed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 2 tells us that the face of Jesus shone like the sun there on the mount. What happened to Moses and what happened to Jesus and what happened to, to Stephen? They were touched by the presence of God. And the result was obvious to everyone. Like the people standing around Stephen, we should be able to take note that our deacons have been with Jesus. There should be something about them that causes us to see Jesus. Now, their faces may not physically glow, but there should be something we notice in them that's different. Uh, their character should be a measure above. How they treat others should be a measure above. Their prayers should be a measure above. Their support of the church should be a measure above. Their attendance in church should be a measure above. In, in short, when you look at a deacon... You should see the work of Jesus. You should see the presence of Jesus. Now, no deacon's going to be perfect, but he should be godly. And we need deacons who, like Stephen, have spent much time in communion with God. We need deacons who, like Stephen, when we look at them, we know that they've been with Jesus. Fifth, like Stephen, a deacon should demonstrate courageous faith. All of chapter 7 really demonstrates this, and we're not going to take time to read it. But as I shared in chapter 7, we read this example of Stephen's teaching. And this teaching came during the time when he is in trial, on trial before the Sanhedrin. And in this moment, before this group that literally held his life in their hands, and they hated the news about Jesus that he was preaching. Stephen was brave, and he was bold, and he was strong. He didn't back down. He stood for the faith. Down in verse 54, it, it gets rather intense if you want to turn down there. Back up to verse 51, and you'll understand why they got a little ticked off. Stephen says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow. Then in verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, to this point, things had been fairly calm, but the members of the Sanhedrin had been stewing and now they were ready to blow. And they're furious. Their faces get red. And they begin to gnash at him with their teeth like a bunch of junkyard dogs. They're just mad at him. Ah, what are you talking about? Gnashing their teeth at him. And what does Stephen do? Well, look at verses 55 and 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looks to Jesus. Before him were a bunch of angry junkyard dogs, but above him was Jesus. And that's where he looked. With his eyes fixed on Jesus... Stephen gained courage. You know something? 
In a day when more and more things and people are against Christianity and the teachings of the Bible, we must have deacons who demonstrate courageous faith. Deacons must stand for the truth of God's word. They must stand for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must hold the pastor accountable for what he preaches and teaches to make sure that it is the word of God. They must make sure that we're always intent on reaching people for the gospel. In many ways, the deacons of a church are the keepers of the faith of that church. You know, in some churches, deacons see themselves as the keepers of tradition of the church. And they'll fight you if you want to change the tradition. But friends, traditions aren't worth fighting over. The truth is worth fighting over. And if the deacons ever fight about anything, it should be about advancing the gospel and holding true the word of God. Nothing else in the church is worth fighting over. But it takes courage to fight for the right things. Deacons should have courageous faith. We read at the end of chapter 7 of the stoning of Stephen. If you look at verses 57 and 58, at this, they, look at this, they covered their ears yelling at the top of the voices because they didn't want to hear him. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. Stephen was so strong in the faith that when he was pressed, he was willing to die for the faith. So we see that a deacon's faith needs to be so strong that he's willing to die for that faith. Sixth and finally, like Stephen, deacons should be forgiving. I want you to see who Stephen forgave if we continue the story in verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Who did Stephen forgive? The very people who were killing him. That's big. Stephen isn't forgiving someone who hurt his feelings, stole his girlfriend, stole his most prized possession. He's forgiven the very people who are in the act of murdering him. Deacons must lead the way in forgiveness and set the example in forgiveness for the church. Many churches have struggled because the deacons of the church have harbored unforgiveness against members or pastors, or ministry staff who in some way may have failed the church or who may have disappointed them or who may have just crossed sabers with them. And unforgiveness has been there for a long, long time. And you can tell it's still there because the old stories keep coming up. Deacons need to help put the hurts of a church to rest by being forgiving themselves and leading the church to forgive as well. Last time I checked, none of us has been stoned. And so if Stephen could forgive the people who were stoning him, surely we can forgive anyone in the church who's done something wrong to us. I think you'll agree that every deacon has big shoes to fill when compared with Stephen. I mean, he's the poster child. But it's your responsibility, church family, to nominate and elect men like this or as close to this as possible and then hold them accountable. You see, the deacon body of any church is not a good old boys club. It's not where you put You want your son to be, so you can say he's a deacon at First Baptist Church. It's not where you just want your husband to be, so you can have that. I don't know why anybody wants the title of deacon, but some people do. But it's not a good old boys club. It is a group of godly men who possess this kind of characteristics to help the church move forward in ministry, 
and in evangelism. And when a church is filled with those kind of leaders, look out. It's amazing to see what God can do. As we move into our time of invitation, what I want us to do as we begin is I'm going to, I'd like all of our current serving deacons, if you're currently serving, would you please stand where you are so that folks can see you? We have quite a few of our deacons who are not back uh, with our church yet. They're watching from home and we, of course, extend our prayers to you. But what I want you to do, church family, is to find one of these men and extend your hands toward them. And we're going to lift these guys up. And asking them, they have big shoes to fill, and we want the Lord to do great things through them. So if you just, just pick somebody and extend your hands to them as we lift these men up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the deacon body of First Baptist Church Pineville. Lord, you've called these men out for such a time as this and to lead our church and to do great things through them. And so, God, we pray your blessings on them and their families. Lord, we pray that you would grow them immensely spiritually. We pray, Lord, that you would use them immensely, ministerially. Lord, we ask that you would unify all of us as we continue to move forward as our church grows and advances and moves through this crazy time that we're in. We pray, Lord, that we would be amazed at what you do. Thank you, God, for these men. Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for their, their wives and families who support them. And God, we pray your blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. And for the rest of you, I want to extend an invitation to you. Some of you have been attending our church either in the pews or online for some time. And the Lord's starting to let you realize this is where you need to plug your life in. Maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been baptized. But for whatever reason, you're, you're not a part of a church. Or maybe you've moved here and you've been looking. Or maybe you're watching online and you don't have a church home where you are. But every single week, you unite with First Baptist Church Pineville. We want to invite you to become a part of this church family. I believe God's doing some amazing things through our church. And I think he's going to take us out of this time in increasingly amazing ways. So if you're looking for a church home, we'd encourage you to unite with this church family. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation, and I'll be down front to receive you. If you're here in person, if you're watching online, I'd encourage you to click on that decision card and just let us know of your intent to join our church, and we'll follow up with you this week to help you get connected with our church family. I hope that you'll respond to God's call in your life today. It may be that he's doing something else in your life. As we think about our church and where we're going forward, it may be that the Lord's calling you to salvation today. You know, the, the Holy Spirit says things to y'all that I never even think about. He's at work all the time. So as we stand and sing, would you follow the Lord's leading in your life and be obedient to Him today? Give your love and your life to Christ today.
Church family, thank you so much for being here today. It's good to see your faces. And as Kevin started out today saying, we want to hear you sing. It's good to hear you sing as well. That just fills all of us up when we hear the church singing. Take this message with you this week. I wanted to share with you. She gave me her permission to share it with you. Miss Barbara Wagner back in worship with us. She had a, a pretty difficult time of health and everything. And she said, you know what? The Lord has done good things in me. I'm rededicating my life to him today. You know, isn't that an inspiration to you for wherever you are in your life to give yourself wholly anew to the Lord and ask him to continue working in a great way? Take that word with you this week and bless somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus this week and invite them to join you for worship. Mr. John Dempsey is coming to close us in prayer today. Thank you, John. Please join me in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for these great buildings. And we thank you, Father, for the great church that occupies these buildings and for the message from your servant, Stuart. Father, please keep, keep us mindful of this message and help us to choose servants who are faithful, full of the Spirit, courageous, and characterized by wisdom. Father, we lift up our church staff, whether they be paid staff or volunteer staff. I pray, Father, that you would protect and sustain each staff member and his or her family. Please grant their efforts success. And Father, I lift up our elected leaders at all levels of government. I pray, Father, that you would grant these people wisdom and help them to make godly decisions for our country. Father, more than politicians or legislation, we need you. Please heal our land. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 